Welcome to the podcast version of Police Science Doctor, the online resource bridging the gap between research and investigative practice. For police personnel who go the extra mile. For academics who want to connect better with investigative practitioners. On YouTube and on policesciencedoctor.com. Hello, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everyone. This is Suzanne Knabenikol from Police Science Doctor with your weekly dose of police science snippets. And we're up to number 102. I've been doing this for 102 weeks and you guys have been watching and listening and sending me nice messages saying that you really find these snippets useful. So these snippets are basically me having gone through a lot of new, mainly newly published academic journal articles scientific research studies in the fields of police science, criminology, forensic psychology, investigative psychology. And I try to find three that are potentially applicable and quite practical to frontline officers and people working in law enforcement, police, intelligence, and military. A lot of research is by either very, very specific and niche or quite abstract. And it's not something that many frontline people can do anything with. So I try to find those that are actually actionable and could be of use to you. I then send them out in an email to everyone on the subscriber list. And these this email comes with the links to the original research. So anyone who's interested can actually look up the article. Whether you can access the full article or not will then depend on the publisher, um, the publishing journal, and whether you need a subscription or not. Um, that is unfortunately beyond my control. So I'm afraid I can't help with that if you can't access them. Some articles are published open source. So you would be able to read the entire article. But if you can't access the whole article, at least you do get some, um, you know, an idea from the abstract. The abstract is, is a bit like a summary at, at the beginning. So everybody can actually access the abstract. So the police science snippets for this week that I've selected for you are, first of all, mindfulness for police. So everyone who thinks that mindfulness is just for people to have a nice hobby, for those who've got enough time, you know, just for hippies, I don't know, whatever you may be thinking, that kind of thinking is very wrong. Actually, police are the people who need mindfulness the most because they're in a constant fight or flight state. And that has serious impacts on how they deal with people, how they interpret situation, how they interpret threat and whether they see threat in situations where there actually isn't one. And it has severe, severe health consequences as well. Because when you're in fight or flight status, your body diverts attention away from the immune system, the digestive system, the reproductive system to the arms and legs. So you can either fight or flight or flee. And the consequences are that after you've been in fight or flight modus quite chronically for, for a while, you tend to become ill because your immune system is not working properly, your digestive system isn't working properly, and the stress gets to you and makes you sick, can even cause things like cancer and all kinds of problems. So absolutely, police need mindfulness. So that was just my piece on it. Now I'll show you the research. So when compared to the general population, police officers exhibit higher rates of depression, anxiety, burnout, alcohol abuse, post-traumatic stress disorder, and suicide. Officers who were subjected to mindfulness-based health promotion in the randomized controlled trial, so a randomized controlled trial is the highest standard of research. So that's where you can identify a cause and an effect. So if there's a change in something, we know that it's the thing that we tested that actually caused that change. So um, in in this research, half the officers were given the, um, uh, what are they calling it? The mindfulness-based health promotion intervention and the other half weren't and both groups were monitored. 
And those groups that had the mindfulness administered experienced improved quality of life as well as fewer depression and anxiety symptoms. So yeah, there you've got it, guys. You know, hard evidence, proper research findings that mindfulness is good for law enforcement officers, police officers, everyone really, but police need it a lot more than many other professions. The second snippet for this week is about SIO decision-making. And an SIO here in the UK is a senior investigating officer. It's the person who's got overall responsibility for a major or serious investigation. Now, this study looks at how an interviewer interviewing a suspect responds to an, a suspect denying a specific piece of information and offering an alternative explanation or an alibi. And they looked at whether the officer was quite responsive to that saying, okay, okay, we'll, we'll look into that, you know, acknowledged it and sort of said, okay, this is something we'll take into consideration. Or we'll, we'll check out your alibi to see if um, we can confirm it. Or they were neutral about it, or they were dismissive straight away when the suspect mentioned it. So these three different um, levels we had, and then an SIO reviewed. So the senior investigating officer then reviewed the interview and it they looked at the responsiveness of the SIO. How how much did they respond to the to the alternative information su um, suggested or offered up by the suspect? Were they responsive to it or were they dismissive? And what they found was that um, senior investigating officers reviewing the officer's suspect interviews were more responsive to the suspect's explanation and alibi that contradicted information put to them by the officer if that officer was either neutral or also responsive to it. That means they acknowledged it and said that they will look into it. SOs were less responsive to that alibi if the officer in the interview was immediately dismissive about it when the suspect verbalized it. So if the officer at source, so to speak, is already dismissive of the alibi, the, as the senior, investigating of, senior investigating officer was also less likely to be responsive. So that's really in that the SIO's perception of the validity and veracity of what the off suspect is offering up can be so much influenced by the reaction that the interviewer gave when they heard that information. Something to be aware of, SIOs, um, don't be influenced by that, okay? Make your own interpretation. And the third snippet for this week is about empathy and cognitive distortions. So cognitive distortions are very commonly found in sex offenders. They are beliefs um, and, and views and attitudes and things they say to themselves and internalize and maybe be actually believe to some extent and that they tell other people to excuse their behaviors. For example, a cognitive distortion would be that, you know, having sex with children is, is not really harmful to them. Actually, it's it's educational. You know, it's it's good. It's good for them. That's a cognitive distortion, because it's complete rubbish, of course. Um, but it tries to excuse what the offender is doing. So they are trying to shift the blame by rationalizing and excusing what they're doing. Also, you know, the well, the child was acting in a seductive way. You know, the child um, wanted me to engage in sexual behavior with them. Um, that's also a cognitive distortion, and the same applies to adult victims as well you know she was asking for it you know she was looking at me she was giving me this look um you know she was really attracted to me all this this kind of stuff if that's not based on reality tries to excuse the offender's behavior um to make it make it more possible for them to carry on with what they're doing and tries to lay the blame somewhere else so that's a cognitive distortion so this research found that less empathy 
in a sex offender is related to a higher level of cognitive distortions, such as telling themselves and others, um, or believing that their actions were justified, downplaying the harm done to the victims, blaming the victims, etc. So the level of empathy, obviously people who have no empathy or low levels of empathy are prone to offending against other people because they don't they don't emotionally have any barriers to doing that. They don't really empathize with the victim and what might they might be experiencing when you offend against them. And the less empathy a sex offender had, the more likely they were also to have um, cognitive distortions. So um, that was the outcome of this research. I hope that you found this useful and um, I hope that you tune in again next week when we come back with more police science snippets, um, number 103. And I wish you a wonderful week until then and all the best. Stay safe. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. I hope you found this content useful. You can get access to each episode's transcript with key learning points, timestamps and references if you get yourself onto my mailing list. Just go to the main website on policesciencedoctor.com and on the bottom of each page you will find a sign-up form for notifications of new content. Just enter your first name, your preferred email address and the type of organization you work for. You will not get any spam. This is just for me to let you know about new content and for you to get access to all the transcripts. Thank you.